Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman. Coming to you again this Tuesday with another story of Jenny's choosing (laughs) that is completely unknown to me, known to you through the title of this podcast, but, uh, you know, we'll find out soon. So, Jenny, what are we discussing today? Rabbits. Rabbits. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. Something tells me there's more than rabbits. What? Just rabbits. We're talking about rabbits, where they came from, why I they know. breed so much. You know what? I, I may have mentioned this once or a million times, but I have a rabbit infestation in my yard. Yeah. I recently have not seen a lot of rabbits in the yard because my neighbors replaced part of their fence, which means that I'm not getting all the rabbits from their yard. It's been delightful. <laughs> However... A big pregnant rabbit is in my yard again. <laughs> Super pregnant. And I'm like, this is the wrong time of year, ma'am. You need to move along. <laughs> uh, yeah, they we've had a ton this year. I, I literally, I think the record so far has been six rabbits in like just the little front yard patch at one time where it was like, wow. Okay. Six rabbits at one Good time. Stuff. I call it a bunny Congress. That's my... Uh, new favorite thing to call them (laughs) nice evilly uh, a few nights ago i awoke to the sound of something obviously being captured in my backyard (laughs) and i was like oh poor pregnant bunny but also maybe that was pregnant bunny and i don't have any more rabbits to deal with it was not pregnant bunny everyone it was just bunnies (laughs) All right. Well, are we going to talk about like Watership Down? Because that would be cool. What? You ever read Watership Down? No. Ah, good book. About oh, rabbits. Wow. Yeah. Watership Down. Thanks yeah. to add to the reading list. I'm writing so that. So it's, it's a story of rabbits, but it's fun because it's, you know, from the rabbit's point of view and they have their own like mythology and stuff. So there's a rabbit that likes to regale everybody with tales and you get all the, the rabbit myths and everything else. All right. Well, we'll guess what we're talking about anyway, apparently. Thought we could talk about the origin of the fables of Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit. Oh, nice. Cool. That's interesting. And I have no idea where the heck they came from. So I apparently did not either. Other than I just assume it's a Southern thing, but I don't know exactly in what way because, you know, Song of the South and stuff. But Right. I think that's the memory that most white middle-class Americans have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So to initiate everyone that doesn't know, because I doubt that the new millennials know songs of the South. Um, <laughs> Since Br'er it's Rabbit. kind of like semi-banned now. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely banned. It's locked um, in the Disney vault never to appear again. So Exactly. Yeah, it's very racist in nature now, if you look at it in modern lens. But the story of Br'er Rabbit is what actually I'm going to talk about. So just to get us all on the same page, I'm going to do one of the Br'er Rabbit stories because it's real short. So basically, Br'er Fox hated Br'er Rabbit on account that he was always cutting capers and bossing everybody around. Rabbits are bossy. I don't disagree. (laughs) So the Br'er Fox decided to capture and kill the Br'er Rabbit as, you know, 
that was going to be the last thing he ever did. So he thought and he thought until he came up with a plan, he would make a tar baby. So he went and got some tar and mixed it with turpentine and sculpted it into the figure of a cute baby. And then he stuck a hat on it and sat it in the middle of the road. Then he hides himself in some bushes and waits for the rabbit to come along. After a long time, he hears someone whistling and chuckling to himself, and he knew that Br'er Rabbit was coming over the hill. Once he got to the top, Br'er Rabbit sees the cute little tar baby. He's surprised, stops and stares at it, and is like, what in the hell? This is awesome. And then he says, good morning. Nice weather we're having. And of course, the tar baby says nothing. And the fox is laid down low, and he's like, yes! (laughs) And so the rabbit tries again. He's, how are you this fine day? Once again, nothing from the baby. The rabbit frowns. He's like, um, this is a really rude creature. So he goes, ahem, thinking that tar baby is deaf. And he says, how are you this morning? And once again, nothing happens. At this point, Br'er Fox is curled up into a ball and he's super laughing. And Br'er Rabbit's like, are you deaf or are you just rude? I can't stand people that are so stuck up. You take your hat off. You say, how do you do? You either do this or I'm going to beat you up. Tar Baby, of course, is just sitting there looking adorable. And Br'er Rabbit rolls out of the bushes and he's like trying so hard not to laugh and to stay hidden while Br'er Rabbit's just yelling and beating up this poor little Tar Baby. And so he's just beating him up and trying to literally beat the tar out of him, but his paws start to get stuck. So he gets covered in this tar and all of a sudden Br'er Fox pops out and he's like, what are you, what are you doing? what's going on are you you fighting a tar baby and the rabbit's like crap because now he's stuck in this tar and he's like what am i gonna do and the fox is just like i've got you this time you sassed me for the very last time now what am i gonna do with you and the rabbit's like "Mm, whatever you do don't throw me into the briar patch like if you have to eat me you have to eat me but just please don't don't throw me over there in the briar patch i just cannot That's the worst thing that could happen to me, you know, whatever happens, but like, please don't do that. And the fox is like, "Mm, I could roast you over a fire and eat you. That sounds like fun. And the rabbit's like, you you know what? Do that. Roast me over that fire. Just don't throw me into the briar patch, you know? And he just keeps saying it over and over. And finally the fox is like, this is a great idea. Um, You're going to get torn into pieces in the briar patch. So I'm going to do that. So he flings him over his head into the briar patch the rabbit screams in the air so loud that the fox's fur stands up on end. And then the rabbit falls into the briar bushes with a crash and a thump. And then it's quiet. And then the fox is like, uh, why aren't you hurt? What's going on? And he's like listening for the death rattle of the rabbit. And he hears nothing. And then all of a sudden he hears someone calling his name. And he turns around. And the briar rabbit sitting on a log, combing tar out of his fur with a wood chip and looking real darn smug. And he's like, I was bred and born in the briar patch, briar fox, born and bred in the briar patch. And then he runs away. And the briar fox is like, sassy little rabbit. So that's the story. One of the stories. Yep, That is the one that I always think of and know. So that is the one you think of. Yep. So what this story is, is an oral tradition about a trickster um almost every oral tradition in the world has a trickster figure and this one in particular is an african-american uh oral tradition of tricksters nice 
So tricksters dominate the folk tradition that peoples of African descent developed in the United States, especially influenced by African folk tradition, landscape, and wildlife. By definition, tricksters are animals or characters who, while disadvantaged and weak in contest of wills, power, or resources, succeed in getting the best of their larger, more powerful adversaries. Tricksters achieve their objectives through indirection, mask wearing, through playing upon gullibility of their opponents. Basically, they succeed by outsmarting or outthinking their opponents. Um, They give no thought to right or wrong. They're completely amoral. Mostly they're pictured in contest or quest situations, and they have to use their wits to get out of trouble or bring about a particular result. So the example of Br'er Rabbit is basically the quintessential trickster figure in African-American folklore because he's always succeeding to get the Br'er Fox to rescue him and, you know, like get away with shit. Yeah. So though trickster tales in African-American culture are frequently a source of humor, they also are serious commentary on the inequities of existence in the country where the promises of democracy were denied to a large portion of citizenry. So it becomes even clearer in the later literary adaptations of trickster figures. So as black people were enslaved, who were enslaved, started to gain literacy and write about their experiences, they would incorporate these figures from oral tradition into their written creations. Um, In fact, some people argue that African-American oral tradition is the basis for all written literary production by African-Americans. So it's, it's, it's important. People of African descent who found themselves enslaved in the New World, especially in the United States, were not brought to the West to create poems or stories or novels. They were brought for physical labor. So they didn't have access to anything literacy-wise by law or custom. So anything that they wanted to retain in their form of their cultural connection, they had to do via oral traditions. So it was passed down word of mouth or by crafts or by demonstration and um, imitation. So it was quite common that after spending long hours in the fields um, doing cotton and tobacco, they would occasionally gather in the evenings for storytelling. They would share tales during their slavery, which initially were believed to focus almost exclusively on animals. Um, But as researchers become interested during the 20th century, they find that a few of the stories start to focus on human actors. So it's generally believed that the enslaved people did not share with researchers. What? (laughs) Um, A lot of the tales containing human characters because the protagonists were always tricksters and they were worried that the trickster stories would give them this idea that they were trying to trick their masters. Um, Yeah. So records left by 19th century observers of slavery and by the masters themselves indicate that a significant number of slaves lied, cheat, stole, feigned illness, um, pretended to misunderstand orders, put rocks in the bottom of their baskets, basically did whatever they could to make themselves inefficient. So understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably. Also, I'd like to point out, I don't love the term slave and master, um, but there's not really a way to distinguish this without making this really confusing. So I'm sorry, anybody has a better way to explain this. I would love to hear that explanation. So yeah, Briar Rabbit is the primary African-American trickster and there's been a bunch of adaptations of 
the African Cooney, which is a rabbit, a small deer, or of a Nancy, who is the well-known African spider trickster. You might know him from American Gods. Yep. Animals that appear frequently in the tales about Briar rabbits, such as elephants and lions, are also believed to be African transplants, since they are obviously not native to the United States. From these adaptations, enslaved Africans created worlds in which animal actions mirrored human actions during and after slavery. Their kinship to fables enabled the seriousness of the tale to be overlooked at times. So in 1881, a book comes out, which is the Uncle Remus stories from Joel Chandler Harris. Yep. Excuse me. Um, in these stories, there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of um, comeuppance, if you will, that characterize the tales. And it's a lot about larger animals and they think larger animals are supposed to take the place of the, the slave masters. And they're all being bested by these smaller brer rabbits, which are supposed to take the, the shape of the human slaves. And they're passed over for readers as they focus on more and more fanciful portrayals of imaginary animal worlds. So it's not until the 1880s and the founding of the American Folklore Society that they start to hear this strand of tales that does not disguise the actions. Um, they uncovered a story called John and the Old Master in the midst of these tales. And in these stories, John is the enslaved black man and he manages to get the best of the old master in every situation in which they're pitted against each other. So it goes from being animals to being very vocally the slave and their master. Okay. So the story I told is the classic trickster folktale, but like all of the fables, it's a double-barreled affair. So basically it's like supposed to be entertaining, but it also has to have a, a message, right? So the, the question the story addresses is a fundamental one. Apparently this story is actually about food and water access, which I thought was interesting. Huh. So who controls access to food and water when the rules have been turned upside down by giant forces like slavery or colonialism or global trade. So there's a journalist who worked as the teenage newspaper apprentice on a Georgia plantation during the civil war, last name's Harris. And he heard stories from African-Americans while spending hours in conversation with the inhabitants of the soon to be former slave quarters. So they were still, still enslaved, but they were soon to be freed. Yeah. Um, and he was totally entranced by the folklore. So he created this story of Uncle Remus. And it's the stereotype of the dialect speaking venerable, old, terrible language that I'm not going to repeat, um, who tells stories to a rosy cheek child referred to as Miss Sally's little boy. So this is the story of Uncle Remus. It's a post-war setting. Uh, and it's kind of the romanticized version of plantation life. So he's ensconced in a small cabin. Uncle Remus is either cooking his dinner um, and he's cooking things like a two pound yam or sweet potato that's baked in ashes, drinking coffee from a tin mug, uses hog bristles as a needle to mend his shoes, or he's weaving horse collars from the strips of tree bark um, as his audience listens. So the book is a sensational bestseller. It's praised by everybody. Um, Mark Twain, Rudyard Kipling, uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, and eventually he even invites Harris to the White House declaring the presidents may come and go, but Uncle Remus stays put. So this had captured 
the mind of the nation, essentially. So as the Arctic architect, <laughs> archetypical archetypical whatever yeah, whatever, whatever that word is that one that's the one right, i mean right i don't think i've ever tried to say it out loud before yeah i know what you mean archetypal hmm. trickster tale uh tar baby describes how the fox and traps them as and um how the fox and traps a rabbit using the tar figure rabbit gets it stuck in five places in the front the hind feet and the head after mistaking it for a real person so this is when he throws and tries to get away. The symbolism in this is rooted in slavery and inequalities. It's really not that hard to decipher. The rabbit's the underdog who constantly has to outwit people to steal food to survive. So why we thought a tar baby is food, I'm still confused by. I'm not going to lie, but I read five articles that use tar baby as a food allegory. Okay. I don't know. Uh Legally, the food belongs to the master, but morally, the enslaved right the enslaved has a right to it as well. And then the briar patch is supposed to be the symbol of the commons, which is unenclosed, unowned lands that provide refuge. So today, the term tar baby is interpreted as a racial slur. Go frickin' figure. Yeah. Um, and politicians have gotten in trouble for using it, but in the original context, it actually was just a metaphor for a sticky situation that got worse the more you entangle with it. Um, and this story is central to the understanding of cultural traditions that slaves brought from Africa to America. It shows that slaves were neither deracinated or submissive, but learned survival strategies. It also sheds light on the impact of science over the conflict of natural resources. So this tar interpretine figure that they rigged up is called a contraption. Um, it's a piece of technology that's supposed to get the better of the rabbits thinking there's also an unmistakable parallel between the contraption and tar fence described in Frederick Douglass's autobiography, in which Douglass recalls that how his plantation owner in Eastern Maryland built a tar fence to keep hungry swarms of boys, as well as the older slaves, out of the fruit gardens so that they didn't eat the fruit out of the master's gardens. Okay. So in that case, I can see where we're getting the food out. Yeah, now I can see where we're getting this. But yeah, I'd never heard of a tar fence before. So Me either. So given the chronic hunger, they endured hardly any enslaved person. Um, and in a pretty ambiguous line from Frederick Douglass, they had the virtue or the vice to resist the tar fence. Either way, the tar fence works, right? Because if they find anybody with tar on their body, they're deemed guilty and brutally whipped. So people became slaves in general, became completely fearful of tar. They were afraid if they just rubbed up against a fence, they would get beaten for it. They seem to realize that the impossibility of touching tar without being defiled, um, it was almost like the tar baby tale came to life. And so the question was, was the story originated as a response to slavery or was it around before? Tar was used as a police technology under slavery, undoubtedly. Um, and the, just like the fox uses the tar baby to trap the rabbit, they, this black material would have had special meaning for slaves who had experienced it as that policing technology. In other global versions of the story, the food the rabbit is out to snag changes depending on the produce of the region. So there's a story from South Carolina in which the battle is over a field of black-eyed peas. In Oaxaca, the dispute is over Chile. Um, in a story from Tanzania, it's about sorghum. In West Africa, it's about maize, yams, and beans. 
Um, but often the resource in question is never really location specific. Water is one of the most common resources in dispute. The other thing is, is that the tar baby figure changes. So in the story that I told it, the tar baby wasn't holding anything, but in some of the tales, um, the tar baby is holding a cake, a bottle of whiskey, a deck of cards, whatever might tempt the rabbit. Okay. And the rabbit is portrayed as a free rider, which is kind of interesting because it seems like he can go anywhere he wants, but he chooses to show up and steal things, which is an interesting way to tell this story. The whole point though, is that we're supposed to identify with the rabbit. There's something confirmed again and again by the people telling the story. It's puzzling about the opening scene, which makes it impossible to identify with the rabbit because when you first hear about it, the rabbit's kind of a jerk. (laughs) You know, it sounds like he's kind of an, an ass who's taking everything for himself and leaving his neighbors with nothing. He refuses to work and he steals from his hardworking neighbors who then end up going hungry. So it almost sounds like you try to identify with the fox before you identify with the slave. This story was written by a white man (laughs) interpreting a black man's story. Putting it out one more time. There you go. So it's kind of a subversive trick. We learned not to identify with the fox whom, you know, over the course of the story, the fox turns into the bad guy. And then eventually the rabbit has the high ground. So why this is important, there's, there's a lot of reasons. Trickster stories are really good stories, basically. Um, they do help you identify problems with society and this, you know, thinking quick on your feet. What's really interesting is that there are a lot of parallels with the Cherokee nation. Um, so there was a study where there were 140 stories of the Uncle Remus stories or the the Bro Rabbit stories. 27 of them had European origins. Um, Sorry, there were more than 140. 140 of the Uncle Remus stories had African origins, 27 of them with European origin stories, and five of them with Native American Cherokee parallels. Hmm. So there seems to be a little bit of intermingling that happened. So let's go down the rabbit hole just a smidge. Yeah. No. So, <laughs> no pun intended. Or pun no intended. pun intended. Yeah, yeah. This is rabbits are my theme. Uh, <laughs> in 1902, there was an artist named Jean Moore who adapted the Uncle Remus stories into a two-page comic entitled Old Bra Rabbit for the North North American. Um, and then the McClure newspaper syndicate released the Brer Rabbit Sunday strip drawn by J.M. Condy from um, June 24th to October 27th of 1906. So the story was pretty endemic in the culture at the time. And then in 1946, Disney filmed Song of the South, which is the frame story based on three of the Brer Rabbit stories, where the Brer Rabbit earns a dollar a minute, the laughing place, and the tar baby. The Splash Mountain which is a ride at Disneyland in Disneyland Magic Kingdom and Tokyo Disneyland is based on this. And they have actually petitioned to have that removed. (laughs) Yeah. I've always thought it funny that they they've got the film in the vault and they won't let it out, but all the theming around splash mountain still has Briar Fox and Briar Rabbit, And you actually drop down the chute into the Briar patch and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. It's a little weird. 
they're, they haven't been real successful getting that removed. Some of the imagery, I guess, but like the story, how do you have the imagery without the story? Yeah. Um, and then in 1972, astronaut John Young was the ninth person to step onto the moon. And in his first words, he said, I'm sure glad they got old Briar rabbit here back in the briar patch where he belongs. <laughs> this is the story. No, of cool. the briar rabbit. Well, it, it, again, I think it's just kind of interesting that going back to Watership Down that I mentioned earlier, it's interesting because the rabbits tell their own stories in this and they're all about. El Herrera, the Prince of the Rabbits, and his first lieutenant, Rab Scuttle. And they're basically tricksters. The whole thing is every single one is them outwitting their foes because that's what rabbits have to do because rabbits aren't going to win any other way. It's basically they've got to find some way to trick all of the, you know, the enemies out there with sharp teeth that, you know, they're got to outwit them to do whatever. And all these stories are basically that kind of trickster story. So it's kind of fun. But See, you always know what I'm going to talk about without really knowing what I'm talking about. No, yeah, but yeah, but I, I love right. You know, Watership Down is one of my one of my favorites, but but I think my favorite little story in there is like the story of how the rabbits got their big hind legs. Because oh, how, what's that? Basically, God is passing out all of the traits to the animals, and so basically, all of all of the enemies are getting their sharp teeth and claws and everything else, and. Elarera's off goofing around or something and he's not there so he doesn't have any teeth or claws or whatever so you know God is basically punishing him for not showing up by basically making all the other animals going to eat him and finally it's like his turn to be blessed but he's busy running away from the other animals so his head's down in his burrow and basically God says come out for your blessing and he says well if you're going to bless me you're just going to have to bless my backside and he ends up with giant hind legs that let him outrun everybody and that's how he gets his you know big hoppy legs so rabbits have some big old legs basically basically the rabbit telling god if you're gonna bless me you gotta bless my ass and then he ends up with big legs so when we were in scott scotland ireland we were taking off from ireland to go to scotland and i remember looking out the window and i saw those giant rabbits that they have there Mm mm-hmm you know the what are those the Flemish rabbits the Flemish or whatever? giants or whatever or the those Welsh things are huge you could see them from from <laughs> the air we could wow. see rabbits running it was <laughs> wild that's impressive they're huge big old ears nice that's what cool. I think of when I hear stories like this about rabbits like yeah. I think immediately about briar rabbit must have been one of those giant Cornish Flemish hens <laughs> and like things you know you those yep. big old beasts your story sounds like these big old Flemish rabbits. <laughs> and then I step out into my yard and I see an actual wild rabbit. And I'm like, what the hell am I looking at? <laughs> this thing looks so innocent. It's just. Yep. Well, it's all a, sinew and bones. Got to read watership down now. So yeah, it's yep. on the list now. Good stuff. Or you can watch the old cartoon movie, which is simultaneously awesome yet terrifying as a kid. So Aren't a lot of films from our childhood that yes, way? Yes, it's one of those great, like, I don't know, 70s, early 80s movies that are just, like, terrifying, yet somehow as a kid you can't not watch it. You know? Like so, Dark Crystal? Yeah, pretty much. I remember it, it fascinating me, it, it creeping me out at the same time. So, 
the book isn't creepy at all, but the <laughs> something about that movie was terrifying. I don't... You know, that that's from the era when they just did a lot yeah. of drugs. So yeah, I they, imagine the movies reflected such. They were just into terrifying children. That was just kind of what you A did. little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Well, cool. Yeah, it's good to know more about. You know, I'd heard of the Uncle Remus tales, but I didn't know any of the story behind it. And that's it's pretty cool to know. So sure. Well, thank you again. And thank you to all our listeners for checking us out this week. As always, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, grow our glorious listenership, and uh, we will catch you all in a week. Bye-bye. Bye.